Welcome to the podcast edition of Musicians of the Midnight Sun. I'm your host, Pat Braden, broadcasting to you over the virtual airwaves from the Love Shack studio here in the heart of Old Town Yellowknife Northwest Territories. Now, I'm a bass player, Chapman stick player, singer-songwriter, and I've been playing music throughout the North since about 1977. As a young musician, I was caught up in the explosion of popular music in the world through the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. As I got older, I thought there must have been the same thing happening up here, just in a different place and on a different scale. So in 2003, I started to interview the older players who taught me most of what I know today, and many more musicians that I'd only ever heard of. My intention was to have an accessible and free place where anyone could go to learn about these players, and the musical times, and the lives that they lived. Over the years, I've collected 30-plus interviews and created an archival website at www.musiciansofthemidnightsun.com. Some of these interviews are quite long, so I wanted to bring the core of their stories to a more accessible format. So I created this series of podcasts to continue the celebration of the musical lives of these northern musicians who performed in northern Canada from the 1950s through to the mid-1970s. Thanks for tuning in. Please send any questions and comments to me through this website. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode of Musicians of the Midnight Sun. Many young men and women growing up in the North played music in earlier days. As Angus Bolio once said, if you didn't play the fiddle, you played guitar. There were no other entertainment options in remote northern communities available back then, other than what folks created for themselves. Nick Sibiston grew up in Fort Simpson, Northwest Territories. Surrounded by the traditional Métis fiddle music, old-time country, and square dance favorites, played at the community hall most every weekend. His only exposure to the hits of the day came from the jukebox in the cafe at the Fort Simpson Hotel, owned by his uncle, Charlie Hansen. As Tony Buggins from Fort Resolution recalls in his interview, quote, I don't know how, but everyone managed to buy guitars, you know. Some families were having it pretty rough. Single-parent families with about five kids. Somehow, those parents would get their kids guitars. Somehow. Unquote. Nick lived with his grandmother and recalls, quote, We were living pretty humbly, and we were pretty poor, so there wasn't much cash to spare. So getting $14.95 or so, it took a long time to put the money together and order it. Unquote. When he was older, Nick attended residential schools in Inuvik, Fort Smith, and Yellowknife, where he played guitar with students from all over the north. At Acacia Hall in Yellowknife, Nick was a member of the Arctic Ramblers. This was where I first realized that he was a participant and witness to those early years of the northern music scene. While I was working on this project, I got to hear some early tape recordings made by Peter Lafferty and Fort Simpson from the mid-1960s. In those recordings, there was a young Nick Sibiston burning up the fretboard with Peter. I was blown away by their technique, playing some very challenging material, and just having a lot of fun along the way. I love this interview with Nick, because I can hear his genuine enthusiasm as he recalls those carefree days of his youth, playing music with his friends and family. Nick is retired now, living back in Fort Simpson, 
and still playing his guitar for his family and for his church. My interest in music began when I was a young boy in Fort Simpson. I was fortunate because the Lafferty family, Morris and Eddie and, uh, and Peter, were musicians, guitarists and fiddlers, and so they always played for score dances, and so I would sit there watching them and just really admire them and eventually when I was a bigger boy I was able to get a little 1395 guitar from Sears catalog you know Palm Beach I think was the name of it and uh, so that's where I started learning how to play the you know the, the chords and uh, spent hours and hours and hours with my cousins behind our house in the grass in the shade uh, playing and singing and the, the music we sang in the old days were just you know the country and western I didn't have a radio but others did have a radio and what we heard at the dances you know Peter Lafferty in particular was always singing and uh, eventually as I got bigger I went to Inuvik where I played a lot of guitar and then Fort Smith where I played in, in a little band in, in uh, Fort Smith uh, towards the end of my high school years and then at Keicho Hall here in, in Yellowknife where we had uh, the Arctic Ramblers came about, you know, all of us that played guitar and uh, other instruments formed uh, a band, uh, Arctic Ramblers, and so there were many guitars, rhythm, uh, not even bass, I don't think, but uh, someone played lead guitar. We took turns playing lead guitar, and and uh, Richard Lafferty was uh, the fiddler at the time, but we had Gordy Cardinal, Billy Burke, and uh, Alfred Lockhart, Isidore Tourangeau. All, all these people were, were the musicians in, in those early days that we played. And then from there, I eventually went back to Fort Smith and we had a band there. And so we used to play for summer dances uh, at the armories. And uh, again, mostly guitar and uh, Robert Beaulieu played the drums. Isidore played lead and I played rhythm mostly. And uh, that was the extent of my music career. After high school and just a couple years beyond that, I really didn't play much after that. I just played for myself uh, to the point now where I just play music in church and that, that's what I do, you know. Um, going back to the early days in Simpson and your youth there, what years would that have been it would have been in the 50s. In the 50s. Yeah, 50s. Okay. And uh, I didn't have a radio to listen to, to music, uh, but I would always go to the dancing. Almost every weekend there would be a dance. And so Peter Lafferty and Morris Lafferty, Eddie Lafferty, and there were other people in town. George McPherson and... Uh, Albert Tonka, and, and then there are other people I played. It seemed like in the old days, uh, so many people played guitar, and so many people played fiddle, you know? So it was common, you know, uh, to go visit and see and hear people playing music. And then the, the kind of music, in terms of the songs, I remember eventually my uncle 
uh, Charlie Hansen got a jukebox in a, in a hotel in the cafe there and so there was a variety. He would get new, what were hit records I guess from in Edmonton every month or so. So we would always have the most current songs, you know, sung by Johnny Cash, Johnny Horton, Kitty Wells, Hank Snow and uh, people like that. Uh, you know, Everly Brothers mm -hmm. were a big hit in those days. and. Uh, was, so, that, was that the only jukebox in town then? Yeah, it was the only jukebox and only source of real good canned music in a sense. Other than that, it was just live music at dances. and. Uh, at the dances, were they mostly playing the traditional old-time yep. fiddle music? Oh, for sure. Always score dance tuned. You know, score dance music, waltzes and chatises and dances like that. And then uh, Peter would sing some of the songs, you know, Hank Snow and uh, Johnny Cash and other singers that uh, were current at the time, you know, Will Carter and uh, people like that. Hank Snow was a big singer and very popular in those days. Yeah. Was there ever any musicians, mind you, a lot of the people that you're talking about at that time were still living off the land and coming into town. Yeah, there was a lot of lot of people living in a bush at the time, and uh, in the fifties it was kind of half and half. I would say half of the people were still out on the land, families that made a living hunting and trapping. Some of them were musicians, you know. Some of the Clee boys played fiddle and guitar, and some of the people up the river did and uh, the people in town, there were many families, the Vilnius, the McPhersons, the Sibistons, the Lafferty's, and people like that, lots of people that played music. Music was a big part of uh, my growing up and, and life and culture in Simpson in the early days. That's what formed, I think, my interest in music and uh, made me enjoy and, and play music while I was young and into my, my teenage and young adult years, you know, yeah. Were there any other year of your family members that were musically inclined? No, there was just me. I just said I'm the only one in my family and my mother played uh, a little bit of violin but not very much, you know, and uh, but some of my uncles, you know, uh, Philip Lafferty and people like that played fiddle. And uh, like I say, all the J Jim Lafferty and that family. And Peter's sister, Agnes, who's now Marie and Verl and Bobby, people like that, all very musical family. So they were at the dances and then they occasionally sang. Peter Lafferty did most of the singing in those days, yeah. We're talking the 1950s here. What kind of access? Was the road even into Simpson? Not at all. Simpson was very isolated. And so in those days, there was only a winter road. And occasionally, you get vehicles coming to Simpson. But it was a pretty closed community. And the only transportation is by river in the summer. And then they did have air mail, the mail plane, that would come maybe once a week or something like that. But there wasn't much 
traveling done by people, just kind of went back and forth from the bush and the idea of going south to Edmonton or it's just unknown, you know. And the only place you went to when you came to town, there was a big hospital, so a lot of people visited and uh, I remember some of the people there played music too, you know, Edwin Lindbergh used to play music and Eddie Hope and there's there used to be music at the hospital too. Some of the patients knew how to play and so they would play music and I remember Father Posset would record them and uh, there was a little bit of uh, music provided from there. Other than that, the only other music was in church. You know, the sisters, of course, and uh, the priests and brothers, they had mass, and so they would sing in church, you know, but it was very different kind of music with the organ and uh, so forth. So the only chance to hear real uh, music was, you know, from the Lafferty brothers and from the dances that they had. And a few people would have radio, you know, so they would listen to the radio, particularly in the wintertime. So you get all these southern stations and hear the music that was popular and played in the south. Yeah. How about from other communities? Uh, anybody coming up the river? Down uh, the river, up the river? Well, we, <laughs> from, from like places others? like Wrigley in particular, there were a few people. Edward Hardesty uh, in, in Wrigley played, and then there were a number of other people that played fiddle and, and guitar in places like Wrigley. There wasn't any communications or travel to the other surrounding communities like Nehanny and Trout Lake and Liard. This was much, much later that they had roads. But from Wrigley, it was just down the river. And so there's a certain amount of uh, travel between Wrigley and Simpson. And so, so I was aware that some of the people in Wrigley played music. Uh, so obviously, no touring southern musicians unless they were very no. coming coming down the river. No such like thing as seeing anybody from the south yeah, or so. like you know from Yellowknife or Smith or anything like that. You know, yeah. it was only much later as I became a teenager and traveled to Inuvik uh, to go to residential school and then Fort Smith and then eventually Yellowknife and then Keicho Hall that you became aware of other people and other young people that played music, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. 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 How about electricity? Uh, no, uh, like no, we didn't through? have electricity in our house at all and then eventually, I think the, the Lafferty family, Jim Lafferty, was one of the first families to get power because Morris worked for the Power Commission but there was no electricity in town. There was electricity at the community hall in the center of town where the dances were held. But apart from that, now everybody was just a little town, you know, and uh, the power, when they set it up, I would say in the 50s, it all went to just the, the white people in town, the hospital, the mission, and the army signals, and you know, the stores. And then slowly it went to the odd family and then spread throughout the town. But in our own house, we didn't have electricity. We just used candle and coal oil lamp, and that was our main source of light after dark. So in talking with other people, um, say from Fort Resolution, they remember when electricity came in, they remember when the road came in. Yeah. And so those events 
and introductions of technologies, if electricity yeah. is a technology, it changes. Did you see that in... Oh, Simpsons? very much so. I remember tape recording with a tape recorder. I remember uh, it was still pretty crude in its initial stages, but I mean, Father Posset had, when he recorded the patients in the hospital that made music, and then the Lafferty's eventually got a little tape recorder too, and so we used to tape the music, and I used to play guitar good enough to chord, you know, and follow the the fiddling and uh, Peter singing. So we would get together occasionally. We make tapes, you know. So we did a bit of that, and then when I was away at residential school over in in Newvik and then Smith, Peter Lafferty used to make a tape, him and Morris, and they would play music and sing, and they would talk on it, and they, they would send me a tape occasionally. So I had a chance to hear music from home. It was just so good and so big, and that was the ultimate in, in music. You know, I didn't really know very much about the music in the South, in a sense, but that was the best music that we had, and uh, so it, it was really good. Beautiful that they would they would think of you that way, and, and yeah. even back then to be able to send you a reel-to-reel tape in the mail. <laughs> That's right, and we would play it over and over and over again, and listen to it with all our hearts, you know, and uh, just enjoy it so much. It became very ingrained into our mind, you know, the fiddle, the score dance tunes, you know, and then the song that Peter used to sing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. With the introduction of the road, maybe not so much electricity, but the, the road and the accessibility, um, did, did that bring more musicians, or was it uh, just the option? I remember in the early 70s when the road came to Fort Simpson and all-weather road came to Simpson, I wouldn't say it affected things very much. Of course, people were more mobile. Now you can get into your vehicle and drive south to places like Hay River and south to Edmonton. So there's more mobility, but in terms of the music, I, I don't know if it really affected. We didn't have musicians come in. There was, I would say, more travel by people, but uh, I don't know whether it affected. I can't recall anything significant as far as how that affected the music in Simpson. And it sounds like if you said until the 70s, I would have thought the road would have gone there in the early 60s or something. But no, it was, it was in the early 70s oh uh, that we got a road into Fort Simpson. And also, up before that, there used to be a winter road that would go around. And for a couple of months in the winter time, we was to travel on a winter road. So at that time, I was going to university in Edmonton. And so I remember one winter, I came home and traveled on, on the winter road with Peter yeah. Lafferty. When you got your 1395, sorry, I've forgotten the name of it now. Palm Beach. Palm Beach guitar. <laughs> um, this question I always sort of ask is, one, where do you get your instruments? And you obviously ordered it through the From catalog. catalog. Oh, that was a big, big price too. My grandmother, we were living pretty humbly and uh, we were pretty poor. My grandmother had an old age pension and it would be $40 a month uh, at that time. So we had that to live on. So there wasn't much cash to spare. So getting fourteen ninety-five or so out of there was quite, quite, it took a long time to put the money together and, and order it, you know. And uh, But when it came, you know, think it was a 
nice as instrument and wow you could play a chord on it and do a run you know and uh, on it and so it was big and then I just spent hours and hours that's all I uh, I spent a lot of time I oftentimes would watch Peter and listen to the way he played and then, then in the next ensuing days I would try to remember the chords and then the tunes that he played and the runs that he made you know and so play it just for hours and hours you know my cousin and I my cousin's birth time Kenneth we used to sit behind our house in the shade and in the grass and play I would play and they would sing we would sing for hours and hours you know so we really uh, we really got into the music and we were tried to learn the music and try to sing and try to play guitar and there was a few other boys too that was learning how to play guitar primarily not so much fiddle but guitar and so that was my kind of introduction into music and playing guitar. Before you got your own guitar your Palm Beach guitar, were you borrowing other people's instruments or did, did you just no. want a guitar and... No, that was it, you know, uh, I used to watch Peter playing guitar and uh, long, longingly looked at them playing and of course it sounded so good, you know, they were just beginning to electrify, get little things on their guitar that made them louder, you know, both a fiddle and guitar and to get a little speaker. So it's just the start of getting ways of increasing the volume and then recording. And so it was very introductory to recorded music and, and such. Yeah. Where would you get your strings or your picks or... <laughs> Well, we just got them. Well, of course, the guitars, of course, come come with a full set of strings. <laughs> but as far as the guitars, probably from Peter, you know, okay. just a little piece of plastic, you know. Well, plastic wasn't very common in those days, you know. So, Peter, I would have got a guitar pick from Peter probably, and mm. uh, and use that, you know, or even cardboard, a hard piece of cardboard, yeah. you know. Yeah. You, you use whatever you, you could, you know. Yeah. Did yeah. you get some lessons with Peter then after you got your guitar? Uh, or like mostly little, just you know, watching just him. Watching Never him. really spent too much time, but mostly watching him. And uh, occasionally I'd go to their house to visit them and he would play and uh, I would watch him. And uh, they would have another guitar, so I would try strumming along and yeah. so playing rhythm guitar, you know. So, yeah, that was the way I learned did you take your turn up on the stage at the, at the community halls or anything like that? No. no, no, not at all. You know, we were so amateur, so unlearned. We didn't know enough or, uh, to, to be up there. It was much, much later as I grew into a young man that I was good enough to play uh, rhythm and, uh, and go up on the stage mm -hmm. to, to help out, you know. So in the early days, I was just sat and watched from down below sort of thing. There was a little stage or a little corner where they would play from, and uh, I would just watch sitting there, more interested in the music than dancing, you know? Yeah, beautiful. Are we still talking the 1950s here? Or uh, I, in 60, it was 1960 when I went to Inuvik. 
Okay. And a residential school there, and there were boys there that uh, Richard Lafferty was there, and uh, he played fiddle, and uh, and there were a few other kids, Billy Burke and uh, myself, and there were a few other boys that played guitar. So I had my guitar there with me. I had actually bought a guitar from Peter, and uh, so I took it. It was a Gibson and uh, J45, I think, and uh, so I took that to Inuvik, so I had a guitar there, and so from then on, I had a guitar wherever I went, mm -hmm. and I went to Fort Smith for two years, and then to Akejo Hall, and so I always had my guitar with me, so... So the chronology, I guess, and, and sort of what age or grade were you at when you went to, you went to Inuvik first? Grade 9. Grade 9, Yeah. okay. And, and then I was grade 10 and 11 in Smith, and then grade 12 in Akechua Hall in Yellowknife. So grade yeah. 9 to Inuvik then. And maybe you could explain why Inuvik. Uh, well, as it happened, uh, I was living in Fort Simpson then with my grandmother. Mm -hmm. And so I had taken grade 9 by correspondence because they didn't have teachers at all to teach grade nine. I think that class rooms just went up to grade seven or eight. And so uh, I took correspondence, uh, grade nine correspondence, and, and I failed. I didn't, didn't know enough to, to pass. So I eventually decided to go to Inuvik. All the kids were getting into this plane going up to Inuvik, the government had hired a, a single order and went from community to, com to community picking up kids. I didn't want to be left behind and so uh, I got on a plane and went up to Inuvik. So I was there for a year and so that's how I ended up in Inuvik. And then the following summer I came back to Simpson, I worked. I was the most surprised guy to find that I had passed grade nine. And I remember Mr. Fry, he was a principal in Inuvik, and I remember towards the end of the school year, called me to in his office and he said, Nick, you just can't play guitar all the time. You've got to study, you know? And, uh, and so I uh, was the most surprised guy when I passed. And then that summer I befriended uh, Joe Wager, who was an electrician. So I wanted to become an electrician, so I enrolled to go to a Keicho Hall okay. in the industrial kind of program. So as it happened, the very last day, the day we were supposed to leave, get on the plane to Yellowknife, the, the administrator, Mr. Hancock, said, there's no more room in a Keicho, you have to go back to Inuvik. And him, me and his son, Richard, we kind of rebelled and said, we're not going back to Inuvik. So we said, we're going to quit school. So we quit school for a few weeks, and eventually they said, okay, there's an opening in Fort Smith. Would you go there in Brainerd Hall? So I agreed to go, and so we went. I ended up in Fort Smith, and I stayed in Brainerd Hall for a few months and eventually transferred to Granon home. They had Grand and Home for the boys and another place for young girls. And at the time, the church was interested in making brothers and priests out of young people in the north. So they had a school there and a boarding place where they uh, had young people go and stay there and attended school. So I transferred to that program and so was there for 
two years and um, then eventually I went to a Keicho Hall. Okay, and, so that's, yeah. how that, that's how that yeah. worked out. Correct me if I'm wrong, the schools, i.e. a Keicho Hall, probably weren't even built when you were up at Inuvik, right? You were probably went up to Inuvik because you couldn't go to no, a Hall. No, no, I think a Keicho Hall was, was built was already. Built, okay. Yeah, because I heard of, I think I heard of people going there. I know that they had just built the Inuvik residential schools, both the Catholic and the Anglican ones, and they probably needed to. They probably got as many kids from along the Delta in there. There was still more room, and so they went down the Mackenzie Valley okay. gathering children to yeah. go to the school yeah. in... Uh, you know, because you know, that's how it happened. So, uh, if your principal's calling you into his office and kind of going, Nick, you can't just play guitar all the time, <laughs> what were you playing musically up there? Who oh, were the, who were the we were just players? strumming and singing, and uh, Richard uh, Lafferty, he knew how to play fiddle, so a recording for him. It was just amongst ourselves, it wasn't part of a, a band or anything of that sort at the time. We would just spend a lot of time when we weren't at school and when we didn't have our chores, we would just play guitar, play music. In one respect, it's a good form of entertainment. And apart from playing a bit of hockey, you know, you went outside and played a bit of hockey sometimes, you spent a lot of time inside. So it was a good way to while your time away and play your guitar, play music, sing. At an early age, I knew that I myself didn't have a good voice to sing, so I didn't really pursue that aspect of it. It was mostly just chording for other people and uh, playing along with other people that could play and sing. Other players locally, do you remember any of the other local players? And, and also just the fact that you're coming from uh, the Daichou region and you're going up to very different part of the territory and yeah. uh, uh, Inuvialuit people and yeah. so the, the different culture of things. Yeah, right. Uh, I don't rem remember in particular, I remember Billy Burke in particular and there were a few other people. Richard Lafferty was the, the fiddler and I would guess there was one or two or three other more people that, that would have played music, played guitar and sang at the time. It seems like in any group of people, there's always a few that are musicians, yes. and so it was the case, you know. And eventually, though, when I got to Smith, it seems as if there were more kids that, that played guitar and other instruments, and then we were introduced to drumming and then bass guitar, and so there were more of us, in a sense, that played music, and so we were eventually able to form a band and at the school that we worked to the kids played guitar this was tony buggins and there were other people that the boys from uh, fort res you know cardinal boys people like that that uh, were also into music so there was more young people playing music it seemed and so they formed a band. At the residential school they had a band. In fact, eventually the band grew and continued. A number of years later when Karen and I came back to supervise there, some of the boys were still there and they had a band and we had the band come to Lloyd Minster that fall and play at our wedding. And so they were good enough and they were really impressive. And I know the people in Lloyd Minster were 
really surprised and were really amused and glad to see people from the north, native people from the north that could play music so well and uh, play at our, our wedding dance. So that was, that was really nice. Beautiful. Yeah. So we're still talking early 1960s here, 62, 63, is that yeah. sort of those yeah. time frames? Yeah. That, um, from what I understand, maybe again talking with the people from Fort Smith, the different musicians and stuff, uh, because the college was there and there was these young people coming in from, like you say, Fort Resolution, Fort Simpson, yeah, yeah. and even Providence that way, there was music everywhere in that town. Did you get a chance to be exposed to any of the local guys or any of that, that whole local excitement that was happening at that time? Or was it even happening then? Maybe this is... I forget who were the musicians in town and Smith were because we didn't really go attend dances in town very much. It's always usually at the hostel or at the school, you know. So it was mostly young people that were in high school that were the musicians, you know, the guitarists and the fiddlers and... Uh, and the singers, and so it was more, I would say, high school age, you know, and people that were my colleagues in, in school and in mm -hmm. a grand and that, that played music. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard reference from, I'm not sure if I can remember who it was from, did Grandin College ever have a band program or an orchestra? Well, I think they with, did. With, with I think they did. They played, I think there was a bit of a, a band, you know, playing trumpets and mm -hmm. instruments of that sort. I know the bishop Pichet was very interested in having uh, young people play, forming a band, but in band in the, in the sense of playing trumpets and drums and uh, instruments like that. Not our type of music, but more marching band type of music, you know. So I think the bishop did promote that, and there were some students that got into that and, and began learning how to play the trumpet and trombone and instruments like that, which were not usually uh, present in, in, in the north. In the north, I think you had mostly just guitar and, and fiddles in the communities. Yeah, small portable instruments that you can put into the canoe and take a lot of room. Right? That's right. Yeah. What kind of music would you be playing? Well, what kind uh, of songs would we'd you play... Be Instrument tunes that we would hear, you know, uh, Pipeline, you know, the, uh, what do they call the Shadows, Shadows used to play music, and then Chet Atkins, people like that, and then after that, then it was just mostly country and western songs that you would play the guitar fiddle to them, you know, backing up those songs, you know, okay. rock and roll sort of thing, you know, and we used to play rock and roll, you jive to, jiving was a very big dance in those days, so jiving music. You were talking earlier before you left Simpson about how the pickups were starting to be put on acoustic guitars, mm -hmm. were you using that on your acoustic guitar or were you playing electric guitar? No, guitar? Uh, I, I never played electric guitar too much, I always had my Gibson and we had a, a pickup on it, but electric guitars like the Fenders were becoming popular so some of the guys at a Cajo Hall had Fenders that they laid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you said you were a, a couple of years in Fort Smith? 
Yeah, two, two years. years in Smith and then a couple of years in Acacia Hall, about a year and a half in Acacia Hall. So yeah. was that a personal choice that you made to Acacia Hall or did you sort of get transferred there? Or well, what happened is uh, the Grand and Home uh, were phasing out the program, the children that they had, the boys that they had there were all just young children, grade seven and on, I would say, till about grade eight or so. And so we were staying there, there was Robert... Uh, Beaulieu, Leon Samuelet, Isidore Charangeau and myself that were there but we were kind of the older boys and so after we got there a couple of years they said that they needed the room for the younger kids so we couldn't stay there anymore so I went to uh, apply to Acacio Hall and that's where I went for about a year and a half after that. Then Mr. Dratliff who was the supervisor then, he was, in, he was the one that was interested in having us form a band, which we called our Arctic Ramblers. And so it consisted of about eight of us, I, th I would say, and a lot of guitars. I think there was a drummer, and, and then uh, there was a fiddler, uh, uh, Richard Lafferty, you know? So mostly guitars, though, and so... We were sounded like a thousand strings, you know, where we got going. We were in unison and great rhythm, you know. And, and playing uh, where we... Dance and music, rock and roll, you know, the dance music of the day, you know. And uh, you'll have to think and remember some of the songs. But uh, it was mostly, um, yeah, just rock and roll. And kids were into jiving and then the odd waltz. But it's mostly, I would say, rock and roll music. Sort of yeah. a blend of the contemporary and the traditional, I guess, and um, striking that balance. Mm -hmm. Did you play for school dances? Did you play? Yep. Did you we play sure did. We played at Acacio Hall, mm -hmm. and then occasionally we played at the school. We even went as far. One time we made a road trip to Hay River to play in the high school there. And then I think the odd time we played in town. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Early 1960s Yellowknife. Uh, mm -hmm whole different time there for sure. John Radcliffe, in talking with Albert Canadian, yeah. and yeah. John Radcliffe's involvement with Albert and the Chief Tones. Definitely. <laughs> very yeah. extensive. Definitely. And, uh, I yeah. gotta say, I just, I just kind of go, who, who was this guy? Because it sounds like he was really instrumental and encouraging. Yeah, he got our little Arctic Ramblers going, and then he eventually went out to Edmonton, and so Albert would really know because he was part of the Chief Tones. But mm -hmm. I was in Edmonton going to school when they were out at this residential school, and that's where he started the the Chief Tones, and they became very popular in Edmonton. And then they moved down the state, so Albert would have all mm -hmm. that story. Can I get sort of down into the the technique part? And I guess when you first got the guitar and you're playing chords and and rhythm. Was there an epiphany-like uh, moment or a time when you, you realized the difference between just straight-up chording as opposed to that Chet Atkins, Merle Travis type oh, yeah. of finger-picking? Well, without question, I mean, as you learn to play guitar, you naturally want to play some tunes. And so you would play, you know, Johnny Cash is easy to play because they have runs. You know, I walk the line, you know, mm -hmm. easy to play those songs. But you get into like Hank Snow songs and it's a lot harder and uh, it's a lot harder to, to pick a tune 
and Hank Snow was really good. A lot of his music contains nice uh, guitar melodies, you know, that... Uh, so you just naturally progress so to play these tunes and you emulate, you try to copy the way they play. You know, Chet Atkins was a complicated player, you know, but uh, The Shadows, uh, their music, and songs like... Uh, Pipeline, mm -hmm. you know, is a song that we used to play a lot. You'll try to learn and play those songs, and we would succeed to a certain extent. But mostly, uh, just a lot of practice and a lot of uh, copying and just trying to make your playing the sound the same as what you hear in, in, in the records, you know. Uh, I wouldn't say I became really good but I was good enough to play with a band and good enough to play rhythm guitar and a little bit of lead there were other people better than me and uh, Isidore Toronjo was really good and Tony Buggins became a good player but uh, the best was always Peter Lafferty who was so good such a good singer and such a good guitar player again for me the magic is in how something as specific, I guess, as that one style of guitar playing came in and came into the traditional musics that were happening here and how mm -hmm. those uh, uh, fusions, if you want to call it, sort mm -hmm. of happen. And with the electric guitar coming up here, how that happened in that time that you're talking yeah. about. So you almost predated the chief tones and the different people that I talked to, like Tom Hudson or Pat Burke. Yep. And those yep. guys were doing the full-on rock and roll, the yep. psychedelic stuff, Definitely. and electric, yep. and Jimmy It's the next Andrews. generation in the sense and, of... Uh, but in such a short period of time, mm -hmm. within the time that you're playing in the early 1960s to even 1969, when they were there, mm -hmm. how much the music changed, not only locally, but globally, mm -hmm. with the introduction of the electric guitar. And for me, it's just this chronology, but it's also, again, Okay, so the road came in, what happened? Okay, so you got electricity, right, what right, happened? Right, right. You got an electric guitar in your hands, what happened? That's <laughs> you know, right. Those kinds That's of right. uh, evolutionary events that happened up here, much less the uh, the political, social, and, and economic sort of forces that were just That's right. Just a lot of changes, a lot of political it, upheaval and it's stuff. It's such a very short period of time that carried over into the, into the yeah. 70s as well, but... Uh, uh, maybe it's a little bit of wishful thinking, but I think uh, the music that you were playing, or Pat Burke, or Tony Buggins, or take your pick, Richard Angus, mm -hmm. were, were sort of the soundtrack for those times, you know? Mm -hmm. Even though it was mm -hmm. the, the cover songs and stuff like mm -hmm. that, those mm -hmm. are the musics that you associate with uh, one of those events that happened, whether it was an assembly, or mm -hmm. uh, the prince coming, or the queen coming to visit, or, right. you know, something like that. So it's a... Uh, yeah. The musical part of it is just the vehicle back into that kind of a time that way. So mm -hmm. I really appreciate your time today, Nick. Thank yeah, you so much. It. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's enjoyable talking. I wanted to talk to you because I knew you would be interested in okay. this sort of thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, you don't think that you were a great contributor in any way. I was just one of the minor ones. But... Uh, Peter Lafferty was certainly a great, and people like Angus were prominent, and Eddie Lafferty were just absolutely prominent, you know. And then the next second after that is just George Manville's and the Tony and, and so forth. And in terms of rock and roll music, it was Tommy Hudson, Pat Burke, and all those guys that, mm -hmm. that came. 
Yeah, you know? and, and also those very early years without electricity, <laughs> without yeah, yeah. radio or anything like that, I mean, they were steeped in that traditional old-timey music, or if you get into Albert Canadian and uh, even Johnny Landry, yeah. their, their traditional songs. Yeah. And, and then they got an electric guitar in there. And so it's that whole transition of, of, of point that I'm really interested in for these interviews. But um, thanks again so yeah, much. Yeah, you're sure welcome. And I hope you can make, uh, you, you use a little bit of what I said, oh, you know, sure, so that will be sure. grateful. I would like to thank Nick for sharing his rich musical life story with musicians of the Midnight Sun. To hear more, see photographs of his life, and the full interview transcript, Check out musiciansofthemidnightsun.com, linked in the show notes. You can follow along as well on Facebook and Instagram. If you would like to support the continuation of this project, please donate it on our website, musiciansofthemidnightsun.com. I would like to thank the City of Yellowknife Heritage Committee and the Northwest Territories Creative Industries Economic Recovery Fund for supporting this podcast series. And to thank the Northwest Territories Arts Council, Government of the Northwest Territories, Department of Education, Culture and Employment, the Yellowknife Community Foundation, and the City of Yellowknife Heritage Committee for supporting the website so far. A full list of supporters can be found on the website. The archival audio of this podcast is from the Northern Musicians Project Collection at the Northwest Territories Archives. I'm Pat Brayton. Thanks for listening. <laughs>